A small percentage of prostate cancers can cluster in families. These are hereditary cancers and they are associated with gene mutations that can be inherited and they tend to develop earlier in life. Welcome to the GW HealthCast. I'm Dr. Mike Smith and today's topic, hereditary prostate cancer and how to lower your risk. My guest is Dr. Michael Whalen. Dr. Whalen is an assistant professor of urology and urologic oncology and is affiliated with the George Washington University Hospital. Dr. Whalen, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. So how about give us a nice overview of, of prostate cancer, you know, you know and, and specifically focusing on, I, I guess, what are the two, two broad categories, sporadic versus hereditary? Sure. So prostate cancer has been known to occur in men who have a family history, that is, if their father, brother, or grandfather, or uncle, for example, has had the disease. Um, African-American men are at slightly higher risk as well. And because of the family incidence of this disease, um, it's been suspected for many years that there is a hereditary component to it um, and a possible gene mutation that might occur in one generation that can be passed to the next generation. There's been uh, gene linkage studies that hadn't been so fruitful in the past, but through recent developments in a very large nationwide program called the Cancer Genome Atlas, it's now been discovered that there are certain mutations that occur in prostate cancer that can be inherited in families. So we think of prostate cancer as being either hereditary, meaning having been inherited from one's father, or sporadic, meaning developing um, what we would say is de novo or newly in a generation uh, in a family that hasn't had a prior instance of prostate cancer. So some of these gene mutations are um, something called HOXB13, which has been found in men of Northern European descent. And there's also work being done that has identified genes usually involved in the repair of damaged DNA called homologous recombination repair. Um, and these genes are important for other cancers and may be popularly associated with breast cancer. So these are the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes that people think of as being associated with breast cancer and have come um, under a lot of scrutiny, especially for women who are carriers of these genes and having prophylactic um, uh, mastectomies, essentially like Angelina Jolie. So, mm-hmm. the, you know, BRCA1 and 2 have also been shown to be important in prostate cancer. And it's true that men who have a history of prostate cancer in their family are at higher risk, but also men who have a history of breast cancer or even ovarian cancer in their family may be at higher risk for developing prostate cancer. And that's mm-hmm. because of this new understanding of the association of BRCA1 and 2. BRCA2 tends to be a little more uh, threatening with the incidence of prostate cancer being about nine times uh, the rate of the average population and BRC1 being about two times the rate of the general population. Well, and so just to kind of wrap that up a little bit, so so we're talking about mutations in genes that can be passed down that seem to be involved in DNA repair. And those genes are passed down, and, and, and some of those genes are associated with a, a pretty high risk of developing prostate cancer. So hearing that kind of information, like I, I want to know, is uh, if, if there is prostate cancer in my family, should I get tested? Is there genetic testing for this to identify some of those genes? 
Oh, absolutely. So the basic screening recommendations for prostate cancer for the average population, that is for not having a risk of prostate cancer or any incidence of prostate cancer in the family, is to have a PSA blood test drawn starting at age 55 um, and also a digital rectal exam to assess the contour and shape of the prostate and make sure that it feels normal. For men who have a family history um, or a slightly higher risk because of race, such as African-American men, the recommendation for starting screening, uh, according to the American Cancer Society, is at age 40, so it's considerably less. Similarly, if there's a known family history of any of these mutations, um, such as BRCA1 or BRCA2, um, the recommendation is to start screening earlier at age 40. Now, there are ongoing studies uh, in Europe, something called the IMPACT study, which is looking at whether carriers of BRCA1 and BRCA2 have a higher, um, not only a higher incidence of prostate cancer, but whether these prostate cancers tend to be more aggressive. Now, the data is still premature. We don't have outcomes from that, but as the data matures, we'll have a better understanding. I will say that preliminarily, although the incidence of prostate cancer was similar in the normal gene group versus the BRCA1 and 2 mutated group, the aggressiveness of the prostate cancers diagnosed in the BRCA1 and 2 group was actually higher. So not only is there the chance for more men carrying the BRCA1 and 2 to be affected by prostate cancer, but it also may be more aggressive. Now, there is commercially available genetic testing, and we have the facility to do that at GW through the supervision of a genetic counselor. Um, Men who should consider being tested uh, genetically, um, you know, which is different than prostate cancer screening, um, are men who have three different generations affected, um, any man diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer, and um, any man who's diagnosed with prostate cancer who has um, a family history of breast and ovarian cancer in two first-degree relatives, um, anyone in the family diagnosed as a first-degree relative before the age of 65, or um, uh, a, pro- a prostate cancer um, that is uh, more, basically more aggressive, or uh, Gleason 8 to 10. Now, insurance companies will cover the testing um, if certain criteria are fulfilled, and mostly having a, a large number of people in the family who have the disease. Um, so again, the genetic testing usually is reserved for men who have already been diagnosed, um, and that's different than screening, you know, consisting of the blood test and the rectal exam. So we don't usually offer genetic testing to men who have not been diagnosed, except for in that scenario when they may have a known genetic mutation such as BRCA1 and BRCA2. So, so if you know, hearing all this, um, a, a couple of things I, I, I want to cover real quick. So, uh, on one hand, um, you mentioned that if if there is that family history, if there is an indication that there could be some of these mutated genes being passed down, uh, and and they might be associated with some aggressive prostate cancer. It, the, the key thing, though, is still. To, 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 to get your screening, if need be the genetic testing, because is it true that even if you do develop that cancer, early diagnosis and early treatment still has good outcome? Absolutely. So early diagnosis is critical. I mean, that with the advent of PSA, there's an advantage of about six to eight years 
um, with detecting the disease earlier than if we didn't have that PSA blood test. And PSA has come under criticism and is controversial, but it now is endorsed by the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force as a grade C recommendation, meaning that uh, patients should discuss the risks and benefits of screening with their clinical provider, with their with their doctor. Um, so prostate cancer is the most common non-skin malignancy in men. It's the second leading cause of cancer death in the U.S., but it is not only treatable when detected at an early stage, but also curable. And so getting screened and for those men at risk, um, having the genetic testing can set people up for success with treatment if, God forbid, they are diagnosed. Right, right. I wanted to ask you something. I'm going to take a little little tangent here, a little side question, because um, I'm I'm sure we we have listeners right now, uh, Doctor Whalen, that that probably have been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And you mentioned something, the Gleason, the Gleason score. Can you just explain that a little bit and 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 what what that means, low number versus high number? Sure. So the Gleason score is basically. Uh, interpretation of the architecture of the cells when looked at under the microscope. Uh, tissue is obtained during a, a transrectal prostate biopsy, and the tissue is put onto slides that then looked at under a microscope. So the Gleason score gives us a criteria for essentially biologic aggressiveness of the cells, um, and this has been validated and actually updated recently. So the prior scoring system used to go from 6 to 10, 6 being the lowest, 10 being the highest and most aggressive. Um, and we now use a Gleason grading group system from 1 to 5 just to facilitate and uh, make more straightforward uh, the grading scheme. Um, so one Gleason grading group is the least aggressive and five is the highest. And the total gotcha. score um, comes from adding the two most common architectures found under the microscope into a single score. So in the old system, it used to be a 6 was composed of 3 plus 3, uh, a 7 could be composed of 3 plus 4 or 4 plus 3, and the 4 plus 3 means that there's more high-grade disease than low-grade disease. And that final interpretation of the Gleason score contributes to the aggressiveness of the cancer and also helps the patient and the urologist understand what treatments are best for patients. These days, some low Gleason score and therefore low-risk prostate cancers can be watched for a period of time and may not need to be treated. That depends on also the patient's age and what their other medical problems are. Um, prostate cancer sometimes can be a disease that a man sort of dies with rather than of, meaning it's not likely to shorten mm -hmm. their life expectancy because it's so slow-growing. So we understand that some prostate cancers can actually be watched, um, but those with higher Gleason scores often um, are best suited with treatment because of their potential to continue to grow and possibly spread if no intervention is undertaken. Gotcha. So let's come back now to what we're really talking about here. And and what I, I what I like to end with is so so we touched on a little bit of what prostate cancer is, you know, the sporadic versus the hereditary and, and some of the screening and genetic testing that's available. But just in general, Dr. Whalen, what can a man do to decrease his risk of developing prostate cancer? Exactly. You know, and for those people who have family history um, or do carry one of the gene mutations like a BRCA1 or BRCA2, uh, early detection is key, as we mentioned. Um, whether or not 
the understanding of having these risk factors uh, allows us to give medication to delay or prevent the onset of prostate cancer. It's a little too soon for that. Um, there have been some studies looking at the role of medications called finasteride or dutasteride, which are given for benign enlargement of the prostate associated with urinary symptoms um, and also taken uh, by men to prevent hair loss, so as you know, something like Propecia. Um, and these studies were not definitive and didn't result in FDA approval of those medications for prevention of prostate cancer in men. Um, so medications aren't really on the table. But there has been a lot of work in dietary modification and nutritional changes as a way of mitigating one's risk. And there's been several epidemiologic studies uh, looking for associations with certain diets and the incidence of prostate cancer. Now, these are not randomized controlled studies, and it's hard to do that in a, in a large population-based way. But looking back in time, we see that certain foods are associated with a higher incidence of prostate cancer, and although we can't prove causality, there is an association there. So these dietary modifications often have the objective of, of engaging in a more Mediterranean-style diet than the typical Western diet, and the added advantage of that is there can be improvement in cardiovascular health as well with reduction in cholesterol. So these changes involve cutting down on red meat and processed meats, also avoiding foods high in saturated fat. Uh, saturated fat and trans fats can come from fatty meats, also sweets and things like desserts, and also using okay. a lot of butter, um, trying to get fats from sources such as vegetable oil or fish or even nuts. Um, and the other component that's been studied is the influence of dairy and milk as a negative factor for increasing your risk of developing prostate cancer. So cutting out some of those things um, has been shown to be beneficial. As well, there's certain foods that have been particularly targeted for being advantageous or beneficial in reducing risk of prostate cancer development. And those things consist of Green tea, uh, believe it or not, which has antioxidant properties and it's been shown to reduce the growth rate of prostate cancer cell lines in vitro, as well as reducing prostate cancer development in mice who have been genetically engineered to form prostate tumors. Actually, when you give them green tea, even though they've been genetically engineered to form the tumors, they actually grow less tumors, which is very exciting. Um, and it's yeah, been looked at in human studies and may be beneficial for reducing pre-malignant conditions um, of the prostate. So green tea can be taken either, you know, uh, as you would expect with the green, you know, with the bag and, you know, steeped in hot water or as capsules that can be purchased in a decaffeinated way from the health food store. Um, lycopene, which is a food um, found in red food, such, or I'm sorry, which is an additive found in red food, such as tomatoes and tomato sauce, um, as well as Watermelon, uh, pink grapefruit, uh, apricots, carrots, and red cabbage also have been shown to be beneficial in reducing prostate cancer cell growth and reducing uh, something called KI67, which is a proliferation index of prostate cancer cells. Soy products are very um, good because of their phytoestrogens, which um, can actually bind to the androgen receptor on prostate cancer cells and help to mitigate growth. Also, for men who are taking androgen deprivation therapy for advanced prostate cancer, phytoestrogens found in soy products have been shown to reduce the incidence of hot flashes, which can be very bothersome for men being treated for advanced prostate cancer. Uh, a couple other things that are uh, advantageous are 
flaxseed, uh, believe it or not, because of their um, uh, lignins, which are phytoestrogens and have certain properties that can bind to the androgen receptor. Um, and so these these foods right. have been shown basically to be very beneficial. Uh, the last one that I'll mention is pomegranate, uh, which, believe it or not, has very potent antioxidant properties. Um, and you hear about it in a cardiovascular uh, way. Um, it's been studied that drinking uh, a glass of pomegranate juice a day can reduce your risk of prostate cancer and, and can also reduce the risk of uh, something called PSA doubling time for men who have been treated for prostate cancer and now have a rising PSA, possibly indicating disease recurrence. So the pomegranate juice has been shown to actually slow down that recurrence rate. Yeah. That's a lot of great advice and suggestions, and I think you make a good point, Dr. Whalen, that even though you know, maybe we can't – we don't have a definitive answer about these dietary changes, but in, in large population studies, it's been shown that they can be beneficial, and it makes sense, right? Mediterranean diet, better fats, more fruits, leafy greens – it's really not that hard to to think that the, the, this this kind of diet will have a a positive change. Um, let's just you know to end for the audience, Doctor Whalen, just real quick in a, in, in a summary form. What would you like uh, my audience to know about prostate cancer? So, with regards to the dietary supplements, one thing is if you know it, it, it's complementary and alternative medicine, so it's a way of approaching the treatment of the disease in parallel or even you know doing it to prevent the disease from forming it's important to mention these supplements to your doctor because some of them do have properties that can alter the function of other medications such as uh, vitamin K within green tea so that can affect anticoagulant medication uh, soy has a lot of oxalate which can contribute to kidney stones so that's one thing if you're thinking about taking these supplements which I definitely encourage just make sure that your doctor is aware of them uh, and not only your urologist but also your primary care doctor to make sure there's no adverse interaction with other medications. Um, in terms of prostate cancer, there's a thrilling amount of developments that have been made uh, in the realm of um, molecular biology and understanding of genetics. And as we accumulate knowledge of these gene mutations, we will also in parallel be developing focused medications to be able to treat these. Uh, right now, it's in the domain of advanced prostate cancer, but there's every expectation that these therapies will filter their way down to more localized prostate cancer um, in our efforts to provide more up-to-date um, medical care in the realm of precision and personalized medicine. Uh, prostate cancer detection early portends a more favorable cure rate, and prostate cancer definitely is curable. So I encourage men uh, who have a family history um, or who just are concerned about their health to talk to their primary care doctor about being screened. Um, and the other thing that we talked about was the role of the BRCA2 mutation in the development of prostate cancer. So any man, not only with a family history of prostate cancer, but also breast or ovarian cancer should speak seriously with their doctor about being screened early. Dr. Whalen, that was a great summary, and I want to thank you for the work that you're doing, and thank you for coming on the show today. You're listening to the GW HealthCast. Please visit gwdocs.com to get connected with Dr. Whalen or another provider, or you can call 1-888-4GW-DOCS to schedule an in-person or virtual appointment. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.